I'm looking forward to where we're going next. Um, with pain for uh, not being able to be here every week, um, but with hope, because that means I will be somewhere else every week, meeting a new bunch of people, and hopefully, hopefully, helping them grow in their faith 1% at a time, which has been my hope here. So, I've got a couple of stories to tell you. The first one uh, starts in the, in, the, in the beginning. So God takes the cosmos from chaos, and he brings order to it somehow. And then he makes these people out of the dust. They were nothing, and then he makes them something. And what does he do? He gives them a job. He says to them, your job is to do what? To be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and make the things that are going on here on this planet go on well. Make my kingdom look like how I've intended it to be. And then what does he do straight after that? He gives them rules about how to behave. He says to them, okay, if you're going to be kingdom people, yeah, you can't go eat this fruit. Yeah. Don't eat this fruit. This is just not what we do as kingdom people. We rely on God for all that we, we, we have and need. We don't rely on the things that we can touch and, and, and taste and see. We rely on, on God. It's faith that sustains us. Does it work? No. Partly, partly no. The no part overpowers the yes part. So they're still good people, they still have God's spirit in them, they're still living and breathing, but because they've gone and done this thing, they can't fulfill God's purposes in the same way, you know? So remember that pattern, what happens? From chaos, he brings something, he selects something, he gives it life again, and then gives it how to behave, yeah? And that's part of how they will fulfill their job. Fast forward a couple of... Uh, I'd say, I'd say centuries maybe, um, you encounter a whole nation now. Where are they? In slavery, in Egypt. Chaos. The order is not what it's supposed to be because slavery was never supposed to be God's plan. The cosmos is returning back to that place of godlessness. So what does he do? He comes and he goes, okay, I'm going to take you from the place where you are dead and in slavery and I'm going to give you life. I'm going to redeem you. And then you have this incredible feast of Passover where the, the Israelites put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the angel of death comes and frees them from slavery by saving them from death itself. And then the Pharaoh is like, go, get out of my town, get out of my country. Go back, go wherever you want to go. Follow God wherever he wants to take you. And God takes them and they go and there's a bath through the Red Sea where they don't get wet. They, they, they get to, the, you know, they get to the, the wilderness. And in the wilderness, what happens? On top of a mountain, God descends and speaks what? A law. During our Friday communion services, we went through the book of Exodus. The talks are online. You can listen to the talks. But there is something that happens before this cloud descends on top of the mountain. God gives the Israelites their job. He says, I want you to be priests, all of you, on this earth. What does that mean? It means I want you to be those who curate my kingdom. You're the ones who are going to help make this place stay orderly and not descend into chaos. That's your job. How are you going to do that? Well, here are the laws on how to behave. These are the things that will make you distinct from everybody else who's trying their, their best to draw this order back into chaos. 
That feast where Moses comes down with the law is called Pentecost. It's the giving of the law. That's the time you celebrate it. So what does God do? He redeems. He gives a mandate and a mission. And then he equips. Does it work? Well, partly. Partly no. You know, they kind of make something out of it. You know, they become a nation and all that kind of stuff. You know, Solomon builds this incredible temple, you know, and actually they're known across the earth. Also, lurking in this story is this promise of a king forever who's going to come and help this group of people achieve the goal that God has set for them. But they, they fail at it. Their kings are rubbish. Um, they end up where? In Babylon, in exile. Again, drawn back into the place of chaos. Not what God has said for them to do or be, but chaos. Chaos. Then you have this wave of people coming back into Jerusalem. What's happening again here? God's redeeming from chaos and taking a people and saying, you are going to be my people who I'm going to use to fulfill my purposes. And slowly they drip back. And that's where we have our book of Ezra and Nehemiah, which are twins, so to speak. Uh, They tell the same story. They're all drifting back into Jerusalem. They're coming back to do what? To build the temple and to build the walls of the city. To rediscover again that calling of God to this nation. To be the ones who curate his cosmos, who, who set things and keep the dials, keep the oven at the right temperature. They're the ones who are supposed to let the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. So they're drifting back. They're drifting back home. They come back. And uh, if you look in your Bibles um, on page 478, they celebrate a feast um, uh, on uh, verse 19 of chapter 6. It's called the Passover. And then straight after in chapter 7, who rocks up? Ezra. What do they say about this man, Ezra? This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. So here you have this thing happening again, where God has called people from chaos, from exile, from slavery. He has redeemed them. He has purchased them. He has given them a value greater than they had in the state they were in. So if if you think of the Israelites in Egypt, the value they had in the state they were in was slaves. He redeems them. That means he gives them a value greater than what they had. They become the people of God, a nation of Israel. These same people, the value they had were exiles. They were under the rule of other kings. And you see how it's the kings who release them. But it's all in God's purposes to give them again that value that they had, which is priests of God's kingdom here on earth. And so among them, after they celebrate this feast of Passover, to really kind of remember that actually this is the same God whose plan is to take us from a place of chaos where his kingdom isn't there and bring us to a place where we are given value, given a purpose. This is who it is that we're celebrating over the feast of Passover This is the same God who's going to equip us for where we're supposed to go. And so the the teacher of the law comes, Ezra. And he he, he teaches the law of Moses. Why? 
because this is how we're supposed to live our lives so that we can do our job here on earth. This is how we're supposed to live our lives so we can do our job here on earth. Does it work? Sort of, sort of, sort of and not. Um, Ezra is the one book where you will find this as a title to a chapter. I'll just read it to you. You might, you might find, I, I find it funny. The Bible makes me chuckle. Um, those guilty of intermarriage, and it lists. Can you imagine? That's, that's, that's in the Bible. That's in your Bible. Why is it there? Because God is saying something to the Israelites. You were supposed to be like this. For so long as you're like this, you can do your job. The moment you start to receive influences from other people, you start to receive influences from other things, you lose your ability to fulfill this. So Ezra comes, and one of the things he does is, he, he, he says to them, look, if you've, if you've married someone who's not from the tribe of Israel, you're going to have to let them go. For me, that's a sad thing to hear. It's a hard thing to hear. And that's the point at which I go, actually, you know, I don't know whether this is in keeping with God's purposes completely. I understand what he's trying to do with the nation of Israel. But the promise that I'm hearing through the scriptures is of an expanding kingdom, one that's supposed to encompass others. It's not quite, it's not quite working. Fast forward a couple of centuries later, um, this baby is born, he grows up, he does weird stuff, turns water into wine, it heals people. So someone who's blind, he gives them sight. Uh, there's a lady who's going to bury her son who's died. He just stops the whole procession, which is a bit rude if you ask me. And he just goes and get up, you know, so they forgive him for his rudeness because the man comes back to life, you know. A paralyzed man is lowered into the synagogue by his friends, says, get up, go. You know. This is the kind of stuff that this Jesus does. This is the kind of stuff that he does. But what happens? They nail him to the cross. And he dies. And his disciples who were hoping that this was that promised person who was going to help this nation discover their calling and purposes, they are disheartened by the fact that he has died. Little do they know that weaved into the story is that blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So that when the angel of death comes and he sees that a lamb has lost its life, he doesn't enter that house. He passes over that house and he goes to the one without the blood of the lamb on top of it. And in Jesus we find the lamb of God who in his death offers his blood for us to streak across the doorposts of our heart. So that those things that cause us death and decay, that draw us back into chaos, when we encounter them, they see firmly in us and on us the redemptive power of God, the story that we have been purchased by blood from chaos and death into order and hope for God's kingdom. He appears in a room that locked from the inside. He says, peace be with you. And he breathes on them. And he tells them something. He says to them, wait, linger. Because the story is not done. Why? Because God's pattern is what? Redemption. Mandate. 
equipment. Redemption, mandate, equipment. What does Jesus do before he ascends? He says, oh, okay, all authority is given to me. Yeah, I have all the authority. Now you guys, go and do this thing. Job. He says, before then, wait. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then you move, you move, you move, you move. And when it's the feast of Pentecost, the time when the law is given, what happens to this motley crew in the morning? They receive power from on high. How are you supposed to behave to make you fulfill your job? The Holy Spirit is going to tell you. You need the Holy Spirit, just like they needed the law, in order for you to fulfill God's purposes for you and for those around you on this earth, so that you can be curators of God's kingdom and stop the earth descending into chaos by unearthing the signs of the kingdom. When you show kindness and love one to another, people will know you're Jesus' disciples. When you pray for the sick, some of you, when you raise the dead, because it will happen, when you show hope beyond despair, that's work of the Holy Spirit. When you encourage a child, when you take time to listen to a curate's rant, when you welcome the next curate and show them love and gather them and grow them and with grace give them away, the Holy Spirit is going to help you with that. It's going to help you with that. And that's what Pentecost for us is about. With that in mind, I'm going to drill us back into Ezra. Because I think the best place to finish is verse 10 of chapter 7. It says, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching his decrees and laws in Israel. He was a man for a time and a place his lineage is read out there. Well done, Valerie. I would, I would have given up at some point. <laughs> Seriously, at the 6 p.m., I had a passage like that. And I was like, and then this person gave birth to that person because I couldn't pronounce the names. <laughs> but the Bible is doing something incredible here. It's giving you coordinates. It's giving you, you know, you, you go, you know, do you, who remembers A to Z? Do you remember A to Z? Yeah? To find out where you're going, you have to like find the, the, that latitude, latitude and longitude. Yeah? It's giving you coordinates. That's what it's doing. There is a time and a place within which this person operated. And it was in God's plan that this person was there at that appointed time. For Ezra, he needed to arrive after all who had gone before him. Why? Because they were each building something which was his place to start. That's, that's the time and that's the place. But what does he do? He takes what he has received. He doesn't just rest on it. He studies. He observes the law. He puts it to practice, this thing that they have received, and teaches. That is, he proclaims it. So what does that mean for us here? There is a time to which you have all been called not just to this planet, to this country, to this land, to this particular area of Chiswick. You in particular. And what you have received, not just from your parents, 
and your grandparents, but also from those who have been here before. We had the funeral of Pam here, true. I got to meet Pam probably three times. Every time she inspired me. What I'm going to leave with is a foundation from Pam on how to live. Yeah. She was part of what took place here to make this place what it is. A group of people had courage. So who are your lineage? Your lineage is people who had courage to fulfill what God had called them to do in this place so that God's work may continue. There is a calling for all of you, all of you here, to be part of that story going forward, which has your parents' names written behind it, their parents' names written behind it, those who told you about faith written behind it, calling you towards those who need to hear about it from you. So devote yourselves to the studying. Don't, don't let Sunday just be the space where you encounter the scriptures and the word of God. Take it into your week. Observe, not just the law, but life in the spirit. This is intimacy with God himself. Devote a moment in the morning. Ah, take the covers off. Holy Spirit, I need you for today. See what he does. Observe it. And then teach. You're going to have more children in this service. Some of them are up there. They're going to come down here. Um, what do you think God's calling you to do and be for them? You're going to have parents coming into this service to drop their children off for choir. Some of whom may not have heard the story to which you draw hope from. What do you think God's calling you to do for them? You're going to have a whole heap of people who come later at the 6 p.m. service who just life is beating up. What are you going to do for them if not talk to your Father in heaven in their stead? There is a purpose for you in God's mission here. We have a long list of things that are needed for the church. I think I saw it when I was prepping and looking at the notices. Uh, I can't find the notice sheet. But if you see the things that the church needs, there is a list. There's a list on there. Maybe in the minute or so we hold before saying the creed, just have a look and see if God is prompting you to do something as simple as that. Will it work? Yes and no and yes and no and yes and no. Why? Because we're still looking forward to the time when Christ returns and the kingdom is fully here on earth as it is in heaven. But our calling is to make it work when we can and show signs of what's to come.